Tonight, uh, we begin a new series, taking a look at the Minor Prophets. And to begin, what I want to do tonight is, is a bit more of, of an introduction. This, this is going to seem a bit more class-ish, all right, teacher-ish than preacher-ish, and, uh, and I hope, hope that's okay. Um, so it's, it's going to be a bit different, uh, but in order to get our feet wet in the topic of the minor prophets, I think we need to take a step back and consider the role of the prophet in the first place. And so, to begin thinking about this, my, my guess is, is that most of us at one time or another have at least entertained the idea, wouldn't it be great if God just literally and directly told me what to do? I mean, I know, you know, we've talked enough to, you know, about, you know, we don't, we don't need God to verbally from heaven say stuff to us. We have a book of that, okay? However, aren't there still times where you think, wow, what if God gave me a direct message? Well, let's consider some people who heard direct messages from God. Because that is, in fact, what the prophets received. The prophets were men who received direct, sometimes audible, divine revelation. The very thing you and I think that we want is the very thing these men received. So imagine with me. There you are, in your room, in your prayer time. God, just tell me exactly what you want me to do. And he tells you to do what he told Isaiah to do in Isaiah 20, verses 2 and 3, to go naked and barefoot for three straight years. Does that sound like a message anybody wants to receive? Anyone? No? Don't hear any takers for that. Okay. How about this? God, really, if you would just let me know what you want me to do, maybe you get a message like in Ezekiel 4, 1 through 8. I want you to lay on your left side for 390 days and then on your right side for 40 more. Anyone? That sound like something you'd like to hear from God? One more. God, if you would just give me direction in life, tell me where you want me to go. Maybe specifically, God, could you just tell me who I'm supposed to marry? Well, a prophet got that response. Hosea was told by God, I'm going to bring you a wife, but that wife is going to be unfaithful to you many, many times. But you are going to continue to love her. These are the kinds of things that God told these guys to do. While some of these tasks seem unbelievable, right? Really, some of what we find happening among the prophets, it's just a really strange set of stories in the Bible. The prophets, to me, are really interesting characters. And, and I don't know about you, but in my mind, again, I, I, I conjure up these images of you know, these really stoic, hardcore guys, right? Uh, big beards and staves and long robes. I mean, I have in my mind really austere men. I don't know if that's actually what they looked like or not, but I know some of my, some of the most interesting stories you find in the Bible 
are related to the prophets. You find prophets staring down powerful kings. You find them doing bizarre things, crazy activities. They call fire down from heaven. They make axes float in water. They call bears out of the woods to eat people who make fun of them. And then some of them get to go on a chariot back to heaven. Now, these these guys are interesting characters, to say the least. But for the most part, their message is largely unknown to us. I I mean, there's some exceptions to this. Granted, we, we know what the prophets say about some of the stuff related to Jesus, right? I mean, when do we hear most about the prophets? Christmas? We might hear some about Easter, and then maybe we'll hear some about the prophets when we want to know exactly how the end times is going to play out, right? That's when we turn to these guys. This this tends to be most of what we know. Maybe there are passages here and there that we know. For the most part, my guess is, if we know passages from the prophets, we know some stuff out of Isaiah, maybe there's some Jeremiah, We know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, at least, right, from Daniel. We know the the lion's den. We we know some of this. Yet, I would suggest that a, a significant amount of the material related to the prophets goes unknown by us. And again, not only because of some of the crazy stuff you find in there, but because of some of the unusual imagery, some of the difficult language that you find in the prophets. And quite frankly, you read through some of it, and you're just kind of left scratching your head. What is this even talking about? And and if you want to experience that, go home and read Zechariah. Try it. Go home tonight, okay? Read through it. Not study Bible. Don't look up anything about it, okay? Just go home and just read it through. You're going to find some of this material you just think, I don't, even, I don't even know how to connect. I don't even know where the dots are that need to be connected. So when we study the prophets, when we think about the prophets, it, it is, I think it is largely a message that goes unknown to us, yet they are critically important. In fact, you just do your own little kind of calculation. The prophetic material of the Bible, meaning the books written by prophets, accounts for nearly... 25% of the book that you hold in your hand. So we're talking about a significant amount of information that comes to us from these men that we call prophets. That their, their message was a timely message. It, it, was, it, was, it was a message that came with, with a sense of immediacy and a sense of urgency. And I think... 2,500, 3,000 years later, their message is still critically important. We'll find ourselves diving deeply into uh, revelations about who God is, God's attributes, God's God's relationship with His people, the the nature of what God did do and promises about what God will do. I think this is, a, this is a worthy way to spend our time. And in particular, I have decided 
to narrow our focus even more than just the prophets, and we're going to study the minor prophets. Okay? It's not because they are unimportant, or somebody wants me to say, it's not because they're underage, okay? This is not, this is not why uh, they are called minor prophets. They're not all 15 years old, okay? So, it's not why they're called minor. It's kind of an unfortunate tag that we've given to it as an English uh, designation in the Bible, something we'll talk about in just a moment. Well, you know, we call them minor because really they don't have the heft and the length of Isaiah. They don't have 66 chapters, or Jeremiah, or Ezekiel, and even, even Daniel, though Daniel is the smallest of the four major prof- prophetic books. Still, these, these are all long, weighty uh, books that, that have stories and images and truths and messages that really resonate in hearts and minds. So the minor prophets kind of, well, they get, they get left to their own. How often do we find ourselves quoting Obadiah? Anybody? Anybody ever in a conversation thought, well, you know, like it says in Obadiah? What does it say in Obadiah, right? I know that's what you're thinking. It's only one page, by the way, okay? So it's just one, it's not even a chapter, it's just one page, that's all it is. What does he tell us? What do these minor prophets then have to tell us today? So they often get overlooked, they're hard to understand, their names may be hard to pronounce. Just go ahead and get ready. Hopefully by the time we're done, you'll be able to quote them in order, all right? That's one of my goals for you by the time we're done. You won't be able to leave the sanctuary without giving me the minor prophets in order, all right? Just go ahead and get started. Get started now. I mean, I got a bunch of youngins running around the church that could do it right now, okay? They could stand up right here in front of you right now, and they could do it without any problem. So I'm going to give you all plenty of time so we're going to be able to turn quick. So I'm going to tell you, all right, let's turn to Zephaniah, and I'm going to give you 10 seconds to get there, okay? All right? I'm starting without you if you don't. So the Minor Prophets is going to be our focus then for the next significant amount of time. But before we really begin, I do want to do the kind of an introductory consideration then of, of the role, the office, the nature of prophet in the first place, I think the character itself, the idea of the prophet, can often be misunderstood. We don't really appreciate his role, why, why he was called in the first place, uh, how he works in relation to perhaps the others. And so, this is what we're going to do tonight. We're going to take just, uh, just some time and, and wet our feet then in the, the, the role of the prophet, think just a little bit about the minor prophets in the next week we'll jump into the book of Hosea, all right? We'll follow it in chronological order. By the way, in case I forget to tell you, the back side of your notes, it's just what it looks like. It's a chart of the prophets. Now, some of those men are not writing prophets. I mean, they don't have a book that's named after them, but they are significant prophetic characters, like, like Nathan, all right? So we don't have a, the book of Nathan. We don't have Nathan's, uh, you know, prophecy. Instead, it's his interactions with King David. So what I've done is just given you the name of the prophet, roughly a date, and then primarily the nation that he was speaking to. So that, that may help you, help, help you as you read through, uh, as we spend our time in them to kind of get them in your mind, because they're not necessarily in chronological order in our Bibles. 
And, and so that, that's just something you can take and you can consider on your own. All right, so in, in order to understand the prophets, I think there are certain uh, elements of their office we need to understand. So if you want to fill in blanks, here you go. Number one, first is the origin of the prophet. The origin of the prophet. Now, if you were to take a look at the books of Genesis through Judges, you don't find what I would call a formal office of the prophet. Instead, those who were in leadership fulfilled the function of the prophet. No, we'll, we'll spell it out a little bit more in just a minute. Prophets were, the, the prophet was a really simple responsibility. He told the people the stuff that God said. Really, you don't need to know much more than that. I mean, that's it. That, is, that was his responsibility to say, thus saith the Lord. But in the, those early years of the, the history of God's people, it was the leader who functioned that way. So, Noah was a prophet. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the patriarchs, served as prophets. Moses was a prophet. Joshua was a prophet. Then we start seeing God in the midst of the judges sending prophets, but really they don't rise to the level of what I would call a formal office of prophet until you get to what I say is the first one. The first guy that I think we would identify as being, yes, he holds the office of prophet, and that is Samuel. Now, to put that in context, the nation of Israel was probably led, at at least um, shepherded, I guess would may even be the better language, the more biblical language, by three groups of people. Kings, now they haven't started yet, but they will. Kings, priests, and prophets. Now, all three of these guys were important, and though it, you wouldn't think of it like a checks, checks and balance like you think of our government these days, there still were these three areas. So, priest managing tabernacle temple uh, situation, the kings then being given the governmental authority, this executive authority. Prophets were then the guys that came along and said, none of y'all doing this right, because God's told me this. Sometimes it was directed to the priest, sometimes it was directed to the kings, sometimes it was directed at both, sometimes it was then directed at the rest of the nation. All of you were blowing it, all right? This was fundamentally what prophets were designed to do. So the first guy that God raises up is the prophet Samuel. Now Samuel comes on the heels of the time of the judges. Can anybody tell me what is the key phrase about the time of the judges? Anybody want to spout that off for me? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Aren't you glad we don't live in a culture like that anymore, right? Okay. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, which was not a positive thing, all right? That wasn't everybody was following their own heart, okay? They were finding their dreams and achieving them. That's not what he means. That means they were indulging to the greatest degree possible their own flesh and depravity. They gave no concern for the covenant. They had no concern for the law. 
They had no concern for living under then this, these covenantal blessings of God. Instead, they were doing their own thing. And to read the book of Judges is to need a shower afterwards. I mean, it's, it's bad. It's, it's not a book that you enjoy reading through. It is, it's harsh. It's hard. The sin, it's, it's a bit sickening. I mean, when you really begin to read and see what these people not too far removed from Exodus, from Joshua taking the land, I mean, the very next generation. So before God raises up a king, God raises up a prophet. And he does so through a boy named Samuel. Now, we know Samuel's story. It, the, the book of 1 Samuel tells it to us. We know that his mother Hannah could not conceive, and so God, by divine intervention, makes this possible. And we know then from that very moment, what does Hannah do? She dedicates Samuel back to the Lord. And we know that what happens then is Samuel ends up living, in essence, then, there, under, under the, the tutelage of sorts, uh, of Eli, the head priest. Now, we, we find in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, it, it describes for us that, that Eli's sons, verse 12, now the sons of Eli were corrupt, and it goes on to describe the manner in which their corruption was manifesting. And it compares then the corruption of Eli's son, contrast really with Samuel. Look at verse 18. But Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe, bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Akana and his wife and say, The Lord gave you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. And they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. So, I mean, I mean imagine that. Imagine that moms, right? This, this, this one that she prayed for and, and, and cried over and longed for, and then th- this child is dedicated to the service of the Lord. And this child Samuel then grows and, and ministers before God, even as a child. And continues to grow before the Lord. The next part then of, of, of chapter 2 describes again the wickedness of Eli and his household. The prophecy that's going to come down upon them. Uh, that this household in essence uh, is going to receive God's judgment because of their unfaithfulness. And then notice what it says though in verse 26. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and men. So, again, this is what you have. You you have right at the time of the end of the judges, before we have King Saul, you have God prepping this man named Samuel. And Samuel is then growing, uh, developing, he's maturing. He is called from birth to serve as God's prophet. Now, this is spelled out for us with a little more clarity. Chapter 3. Now, the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. 
there was no widespread revelation. It came to pass at that time while Eli was laying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, which is a polite way of saying what? He's real old. And that's what, yeah, yeah, he's going blind. He's, he's really, really old, right? That's, a way of, that's kind of a way of saying that. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he answered, I did not call my son. Lie down. Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. And it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went, lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. Therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning, opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he answered, here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things he said to you. Then Samuel told him everything, hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So Samuel grew And the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now, I know that's a lot, right? I mean, that's a lot to read. to, To me, it is such a profound and fascinating story. This is then the call of the first prophet and has all those qualities that that a prophet received. He received a unique specific calling of God and that call was to simply speak what God said. You'll notice the text was specific. The word of God was rare in those days until God spoke to Samuel. And what is the first message from the first prophet 
Go to the guy who's been raising you and tell him that God's going to kill your kids. How does that sound? Is that the me- You think my messages sometimes can be kind of hard to swallow, right? Imagine being the guy given that message. This is, his, this is the first word of the Lord. But then it says this, this is then how he grows. And he grows in a knowledge of God. His words, the words of God never fall from his mouth, meaning he's, he always speaks appropriately, properly, declaring the word of God. This is his call. And it says, everybody knew he was called to the office of prophet. The word prophet, by the way, probably does mean just that. He who is called. The one who responds to the calling. So, we have Samuel here as the first guy, and he really does outline for us what, what I think is the very simple, straightforward office of the prophet. You'll note, prophets are not like kings, they're not like priests. Both priests and kings came from a particular tribe. The priests came from the tribe of Levi, right? Okay, all right. Me and you people said, Pastor, it's your fault. You've done it to us for 10 years. All right. So Levi and then the line of kings comes through Judah, right? There's no expectation placed upon the prophets. Sometimes they, they may be Levites. Many of them were priests, but not necessarily. Some of them are well-to-do. It is believed both Isaiah and Jonah may have been men of some prominence and status. Then you have guys like Amos. Amos was a country boy, farmer, that God said, I want you to go to the big city and I want you to tell the king that he's failing to obey God's word. And that's what he did. He left the farm, went to the big city, preached, and came back. So some of are of high status, some are of low status. Some could be from a variety of socioeconomic classes, um, uh, education levels. They could, they could be called out of anywhere. What was important about the, pre, about the prophet is they were uniquely, specifically called by God. You could not choose to be a prophet. It was not your decision. It was something God himself did. And it was always for a specific purpose, a specific message that needed to be declared to the people of God. All right, number two. So then we have the function of the prophet. And the function of the prophet, I think I put there on your notes. His function is really simple. This is the classic definition. Prophets forth tell and for tell. They forth tell and they for tell. All right, so forth. And then F-O-R-E, tell. So that this is the role and responsibility of the prophet. The prophet was to forth tell. And what that simply means is the prophet was to declare God's word and only God's word. That this was his responsibility to simply take what God gives to him and tell it to whoever he's been told to tell it to. In some cases, though, that involved predictive prophecy. Let's, let's go ahead and make something very clear. The vast majority of prophetic material in the Bible is not talking about the future of anything. This this is a common misconception. 
That, that if, if I say, I'm going to do a series on prophecy, I'll tell you what that means. Now, is, are there predictive elements in the minor prophets? Are the minor prophets going to tell us stuff about what's going to happen in the future? They tell us stuff about what happens with the Messiah and His first coming, and they will say something about the second. But by and large, to do a study in prophecy is to do a study in what it looks like when God says you're not doing it right. It is to do a study in what God does when God's people no longer walk in fidelity to Him. So much of the prophets are in essence declaring to kings, priests, and the people, you're not living according to the covenant. And so much of the predictions of the prophets was to tell them, if you don't stop, God's going to judge you. There are going to be serious consequences and ramifications for your disobedience. So much of the prophetic material is not what you and I may identify necessarily as prophetic material. Instead, you know, they, they were, again, to give the message as God gave. Now, in some cases, though, there was prediction. And when I say prediction, I don't mean like, you know, some of you will fill out the brackets for the basketball, right, coming up, and you may try and predict, meaning it may or may not be right. When I say predictive prophecy, everything, every prophet ever predicted that's written in Scripture, all of it has been and or will be fulfilled. So that's, that's what I mean by that. Uh, and we'll note those as we go along the way. But this, this is, again, the primary function. So if we go on to the next slide, and you can fill these in fairly quickly, uh, four simple basic uh, expectations as it related to the message of the prophets. This basically, simply, is, is what they were expected to do. They would warn the people for violating God's commands. So in other words, they'd bring the indictment. They would bring the formal charges against whoever they were bringing them against. By the way, in some cases, you'll note, and this was Jonah's responsibility, it's not just the nation of Israel. Some of the prophets spoke to foreign nations. But for the most part, they're speaking to Israel. Prophets would also warn, not just warn, but then also declare punishments for violating God's command. So they'd bring the indictment, the formal charge, and then what would be the sentence for that charge, right? So here's what you've done, and now here's what's going to happen as a result. Sometimes they would just give instructions for obeying God's commands. Much of the prophetic material is simply telling the people, stop doing this, do this, and enjoy God's blessing. Repent. Trust God. God will be merciful if you would repent of your sin. We don't always think of this as a message of the prophet, but much of the prophetic material is this. God using the prophet to call His people back to fidelity to Him. And then, maybe another surprise... The prophets are full of hope. They're full of hope. There's there's all kinds of 
instruction related to God's good, gracious promise of redemption. There's much in the prophets about the coming of Christ and the redemption that will be found in Him. There's much in the prophets about God being a God who will redeem and will restore His people. So, so the prophets do often have an encouraging message that kind of comes alongside of what is the, the finger in the face. And, and make no mistake about it, the prophets definitely get, get up in the, in the face of the people they are talking to. So this, this, is the, this is the origin, this is the function, this is the office of the prophet. Let's do one more, number three. And this is specifically then about the minor prophets, the background of the minor prophets. And by that I mean just, just some simple ideas as it relates to the minor prophets. If you, were, if you were to look at a Hebrew Bible, you'll find some interesting distinctions. One, they had three sections to their Old Testament. This is found in the New Testament. The law, the writings, and the prophets... And in fact, the Jews considered books like Samuel, the Kings, the Chronicles to be prophetic books because they were written by prophets. And so they, they would have, they would have uh, categorized the books a little bit differently than they do. And one place where they definitely did it different is in regard to the minor prophets. The Jewish Bible will have the minor prophets in one book. And they'll call it the book of the twelve. So if you wonder, so why, why is that the break? Why is that the distinction? Why do we have, I mean, other than length, is, is there anything a little bit more theological? Is there anything a little deeper than just the fact that they weren't as wordy as the other guys? Well, I, I think there is a little bit more to it. Clearly, those earliest readers and interpreters of the Old Testament recognize these 12 guys, what represent Hosea to the end of your Old Testament. From Hosea to Malachi, these 12 guys were considered to be writing one story in 12 parts. And so you'll see there are some literary and theological commonalities between them all. And though they each have their own story, they each have their own context, they each have their own message, and to a particular culture and group of people, uh, they, they are properly linked together. And, and so it is, it is fitting that we would take time and recognize the minor prophets uh, as, as separate from the others, and yet uh, as a whole. You'll see there in your notes just that final little part. You can break those prophets down then into three movements. Hosea to Micah describes an indictment for breaking the covenant. Nahum to Zephaniah, the punishment for breaking the covenant. And then Haggai to Malachi, the hope in God's restored glory. And so as we walk our way then through the minor prophets... This, this is going to be our focus. I, I would encourage you to do a hard thing, and that is to start reading them. Start reading them. Now, let me go ahead and tell you, you're going to read it, 
And you're going to think, uh, I, um, I, what was that? Read it again. And again. Pastor, how much time do you think I have? Just as much time as everybody else. Last time I checked, there's 24 hours in a day. Right? I think we have plenty of time to read the Bible. Plenty of time. So I would encourage you to, to do that. Now, I'll, I, you know what? I'll make an exception for some of you. If you would rather listen to it, okay, all right. I'll give you that little bit of break. I'll let you listen to it, but you should still have the Bible in front of you when you listen to it. Okay? How about that? Deal? All right? So that you'd spend time walking through these books. And, and, and I know many of them are going to seem tricky and odd, and there's, there's some really strange things there's some things in there you just think, I just don't have any context for this whatsoever. All right, we'll get to it, okay? We'll walk our way through them. But I think we will find the prophets very much speaking to us, to the church, to the situation we find ourselves in, that this is not going to be just some interesting historic walk through ancient books. This is God's Word. It is God-breathed. And that means it is inerrant, infallible, and as Paul tells Timothy, it is, it is able to reprove and to correct and to train us and to guide us in right doctrine. So the prophets, I think, are going to prove to be helpful material to us as we continue to think, what does it look like to live like Christians, to live under the gospel? It may shock you to hear this, but the Prophets will help us understand how we are to live life under the gospel. Don't forget, these are the books that Paul would have considered to be the Bible, right? Paul didn't have the book of Romans. He wrote it, right? Okay, so he didn't have these books. Paul's Bible was the Old Testament, which he very well could have had memorized, by the way. I'm just asking to memorize the names of the books, okay? Not even the entirety of them. So that's a pretty good deal. So next week we'll jump into it. Uh, we'll get to our first minor prophet and consider then the message that he has for us today. Let's pray. Father God, we again thank you for the gathering of your people. We thank you for time uh, in your word on this day. And we thank you for the voices that you have used. We thank you for these who in past times, these prophets, spoke to us concerning these things. We thank you that all of this is understood in its fullness in Jesus Christ. And we pray, God, that you would guide us through our time together, that we might understand your word, that you would then bring it to bear on our lives. We thank you for a week that lays out before us. You and your sovereignty have provided for us already, and your providence you have provided for us already. And so, God, we by faith trust our lives into your hands Asking God, you would continue to lead and guide us, use us for your divine purpose and for your glory in the week to come. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.